Well, this is one of those Sundays um, that I, I get to do both, lead worship and preach, and so you'll bear with me while I unhook some of these wires, untangle myself. Um, how are we this morning? Good. Wow. Oh, even some applause. Yes, that's good. Um, I have to plug in because that thing's going to die, and then who knows what I will say. So um, let's uh, make sure that we have, we have notes here this morning. If you would, grab your Bible, your copy of God's Word, whether that's on your device or in an actual paper form like in the olden days, um, and turn with me to John 6. John 6 is where we're going to be today and spend most of our time. Um, we are in a series right now called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. And uh, we're going to be hearing from different guys this summer. Um, Chad will be here every other week preaching. And then we'll have guys from our church, uh, Steve Korn and Greg Baker, um, Billy Connor, are all going to be preaching this summer. And so we're excited about that. I hope you're looking forward to that. I got assigned um, I Am the Bread of Life um, from John chapter 6. If you know anything about John 6... It is no short chapter of the Bible. Um, in fact, there are 60 plus verses in John 6, and I'm going to cover them all. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, but as I was beginning to prepare uh, for this sermon, I'm looking at all these different commentaries and reading, uh, listening to different sermons and seeing what other guys have said and how they've broken down uh, this passage. Because I'm like, where do you start and where do you end this thing? Um, and uh, what I found is nobody knows. Um, because every resource I looked at had it starting and stopping in a different place. And so I was like, great. Thanks, guys, for all the help. Um, the church global has failed me. No. Um, so, uh, so I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to really spend the bulk of our time in verses 25 through about 40. Um, but I'm going to start reading this morning just to give us a background of, of what's happening as we enter into this text. We're going to start at verse 1 and get a little context behind what's happening here. So you can read along with me, John 6, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. That's important. They're following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Also important. Make note. Verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. 
So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Also important. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not um, yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, and his eye, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at hand at the land to which they were going. And on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, as we were reading through that, I I wanted you to make a few notes in your mind as we look at this text and get kind of a background for what's happening. First, we see in verse 2 there, a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Now, to understand the context of this passage, we have to understand that Jesus is in a Jewish context. In fact, we're going to read in verse 59, a little later, that Jesus is actually saying all the things that he's about to say in verse 25 and forward in a synagogue. He is talking to Jewish people. His audience is very Jewish. And these people are looking for the promised one that God had promised in Genesis 3 after the fall of Adam and Eve. He promised there would be one who would come and crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. And so ever since Genesis 3, they have been looking for this Savior. And the Old Testament is full of prophecies pointing to this Savior that is to come, this Messiah. And they're looking for him. They've been on watch for him. Now we're going to talk about in a minute, they have a different idea of who he would be. But they see Jesus doing all of these signs, and so they're following him. They see him healing people, and they know that the Messiah is going to heal people. And so they're following him, and they're interested in his ministry. The second thing to note here is that it's Passover. In Exodus 12, a great event happens that the Jews will remember and teach their children over and over every year for thousands of years. It was the Passover when God was calling his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. The plague that he brought on Pharaoh and his house and the land was to kill the firstborn of all of the land. Before his people, he told them, if you will paint the blood of a lamb on your doorpost. The angel of death will pass over your house. And so his people did, and they saw God's faithfulness as he brought them out of Egypt. And so here in John 6, as we enter into this story, it's Passover time. Now, one of the things that's most reminisced about in Passover is the fact that God provided for them in the wilderness. 
bread means something to these people. All throughout the New Testament, you're going to hear talk of bread. Um, in our culture, with our gluten-free selves and gluten-intolerant selves and, and all the problems that come with carbs, um, bread is not, like, worshipped as much. Although even those people who are like, I'm not doing carbs, are like, but I really want some bread. Um, right? Because that's me this week. Um, Bread means something to these people. It means God's provision for them. Because in Exodus 16, they're out in the wilderness. They're grumbling and complaining. As we read in Psalm 78 just a minute ago, they're grumbling and complaining that Moses brought them out here. They had all that they could want in Egypt. And Moses has brought them out here in the wilderness to worship God. And we have nothing. And their complaint to Moses is, what's God going to do for us now? And so God provides manna, and he provides it daily. So bread means something. So when Jesus does this miracle and feeds these people with bread at Passover, the Jews are really attentive to what Jesus is doing. He just provided bread miraculously. No one has done that since God and Moses, in their view, in the wilderness. Who is this guy? What's going on? This is the question they're asking. And so then you see that they kind of answer their question in verse 14. They say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now in Deuteronomy 18, it is prophesied that there would be a prophet Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 reads, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Like me, Moses is writing this. From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, there are right, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So these people are watching Jesus do the miracle that Moses had done in the wilderness and they say to themselves... This is the prophet. This is the one of whom Moses spoke. That there will be one that comes after me, another prophet from the sons of Israel. And so we enter into this story here and we enter into this dialogue that Jesus has with them in verse 25. So these people are chasing Jesus. They want to follow him. They want to see what's going on with him. So they go across the sea after Jesus and his disciples have gone across the sea. In verse 25, we pick up, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Rabbi, when did you come here? Now, at this point, Jesus' disciples are probably pretty impressed with the devoted following that Jesus has. They're following Jesus. And when you're, whenever you're following someone, you want other people to follow, right? When you like a band, you want other people to like that band. We are, we are natural evangelists for everything, right? Everything that I like, I want other people to like. 
And the more people that like the thing I like, the more I'm validated in liking the thing that I like, right? We, we all do it. I want everybody to vote for the candidate that I vote for. And the more people that follow that candidate, the more I feel good about my position. Right? And so the disciples are looking at it in much the same way. They're seeing all these people follow Jesus and they're like, oh yeah, we got it. We're right. We were the first. Right? We followed Jesus before it was cool. Like they were hipster disciples. Like they were doing it before everybody else was. And so they were really impressed. Jesus, look at all these people following you across the sea. They got into boats and they rowed over here to find you. The disciples are impressed. But Jesus... <laughs> But Jesus, in his normal manner, says something that freaks the disciples out. Because they're like, why are you trying to scare people off? And Jesus, in verse 26, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his Seal. See, Jesus is not impressed because he knows their heart. In verse 2 of this chapter, we saw that they were following him because he had done signs and they perceived that he might be the prophet that Moses had spoken of. But then he does this miracle where he feeds them, and all of a sudden the signs don't mean as much anymore. They just want some more food. They just want some more food. They want physical needs met. So it seems that at one point they were starting to understand that Jesus could be the Messiah, but now what Jesus is reading from their heart is that they're only interested in what he can do for them. They're looking for a rescue and a rescuer, but it's namely political. If you notice in verse 14 and 15 of the same chapter, he says, When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who's come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew. Jesus at that moment recognized, okay, they, they think I'm the prophet, except that they don't recognize me as who I am. They want me to be their political savior. The Jews are under oppression from the Roman Empire at this point. They're thinking their Messiah is going to come, establish a kingdom, kill everybody else, and set them up real nice. And Jesus perceives this. But they just want him for what he can bring to them politically and physically. And Jesus exposes that they're looking for a different type of rescue than the one he brings. He exposes their motive for following him. And this morning he's going to expose our motive for following him as well. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus, this morning, he offers to save you from that which is most dangerous and harmful to you. That is your sin. He came to the Jews and he offered to save them from that which was most harmful to them. And that is their sin. That which was sending them into everlasting punishment. But they wanted a temporary fix. 
They wanted a here and now fix. God, get me out of this situation. We don't like being under the Roman emperor. And we know that you're going to send a political savior and we want a king. But they missed that Jesus wanted to do so much more. And how often do we miss that Jesus wants to do so much more? Too many of us are busy looking for him to change our circumstances. Whether it be our finances, our jobs, our bosses, our family, our friends. We just want Jesus to make our lives a little more comfortable here. And we completely ignore his offer to change our hearts and to make us more like him. We're missing out on real joy and real life because we want his miracles, but we don't want him. Jesus is looking at you this morning if you have not trusted Christ and he's saying, I want to do so much more than be somebody you call on when when you need some kind of peace or when you need me to give you something or to get you out of a bad circumstance. There's an old phrase that there's not an atheist in a foxhole. Right? Everybody's calling out to God for rescue when they're in danger. But do we want Jesus for Jesus or do we just want him for what he can give us? And maybe you're like, Jared, I don't believe in that prosperity gospel. I don't believe in Jesus so that he can give me stuff. And maybe you are in that boat. Maybe you recognize that Jesus is not here to offer you comfort in this world and to offer you natural desires. See, that's what the Jews has done. They have traded a life of joy in Christ for things that everybody wants. Their most natural base urges of hunger, they've traded that for glory. And so maybe you're saying, I mean, I don't, I don't think Jesus, I, I don't want him to give me new cars and, and all these things. But do you want him constantly to get you out of a different circumstance or to put you in a different circumstance? If you're anything like me, you've prayed, God, if you would just let this cup pass from me, then I can serve you with my whole heart. Then I will finally be at peace. And then when we get to that circumstance, what happens? Yeah, I don't like this one either. If you could just make this one pass... Right? We're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. We're like the Jews. We just want more bread. Give me something else. But we're missing out on real joy and real life because we want stuff that God can give us and do for us rather than Him. One commentator writes, their agenda is entirely materialistic. They want a political king who will meet their materialistic needs, verse 26, through their religious works. So go with me. Verse 26, we're going to read on a little more. Verse 27. Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do? to be doing the works of God. 
So verse 27 could possibly throw you for a loop because Jesus says something that will make you wonder if we're to work for our salvation. He says, don't be doing, don't be working for food that perishes, but for the food that does not perish that leads to eternal life. You may be wondering, well, what does Jesus mean by work? It sounds like he's saying that salvation is by works. Why, why does he say that? Why does he tell these guys, stop working for bread, but work for eternal life, essentially, is what it reads. He says this to invoke the very question that you're asking. He knows the audience. This Jewish audience is very concerned about keeping the law. And as we'll see in verse 59... They're in a synagogue. So the people who are around Jesus right now are faithful Jews. They are there to practice what they preach. It's Passover time. There's a lot of ritual and things that they are doing, ceremony that they're doing during this time. And so when Jesus says to work the works of God or to work for eternal life, their minds immediately go to the fact that there must be something they're not doing. What if we missed? Like we, th we thought that's what we were doing. We we're working. So they asked that question. What? So, so what works are we to perform? And so he's going to answer what the work is. He's going to explain the sign. He's going to explain the sign. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In verse 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God. Believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus answered to them, of the question, what work shall we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus says, stop working. That's his answer. The work that you must do is to stop working. The work that you must do is to believe in the one whom God has sent. That's it. Listen, if you can hear me this morning, you cannot make Jesus happy with you by trying to be a good person. You will not make God happy with you by only listening to KSBJ. I think God might hate some things on KSBJ. I'm not sure. You can't make God happy with you by only watching PG-rated movies or under. It's not how he works. Jesus is saying to these Jews, all of this that you're doing, all of this ceremony that you have going on, all of the works that you are conjuring up and trying to do, it's worthless. And Jesus says, all you have to do is believe. Believe. And why is that so hard? Because we're a self-sufficient people. We want to do it on our own. And nowhere in the world more than in America where we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we get it done. We're not dependent on anyone. We're independent. We work for what we have. 
And Jesus is saying to us, stop working. Why is it so hard? And people will argue with you when you tell them that. When you say Jesus doesn't want anything from you but to believe. There's always a but following that statement. But you're saying I can just live however I want, right? There's always, there's, there's always a but. But I, gotta, I have to do something, right? And Jesus says, believe. That's what you have to do. Believe. He explains the work, and then he explains that the bread of God is not for their stomachs, but it's for their souls. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You know, our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So their response to Jesus saying, Stop working is, All right, we're supposed to leave the one that God sent. What sign are you going to do? Now we're in chapter 6 of John. And Jesus has done multiple signs. And all these people have been following him. They've seen all the signs. And in fact, at one point they were like, this is the guy. And then when he says, stop working and believe, all of a sudden they're tripped up on that. Well, you better perform a sign. What have I been doing? And they say, you know, the sign that would make us believe you is if you give us more bread. That's essentially what they say, right? If if you give us more bread, we'll believe you. Because that's what they they give an example of. What what sign are you going to do that we might believe you? You know, um, our fathers, uh, they gave us manna in the wilderness. They're still hung up on the bread. They're still hung up on what Jesus gives, like the stuff that he can provide. He just said, stop working, believe in me. And they're like, okay, but what about the bread? Fill us a little bit and then we'll believe in you. How many of us are guilty of that same sentiment? Jesus, I saw you do this last year in my life and in my family. But today, if I'm going to believe you and trust you, I really need to see you do this. Right? We were in a really bad financial state last year, and this year, you have blessed us. You have brought us into a place where we're comfortable. But man, I just really like a new car. Like, I really wish my internet was faster. This phone is busted. I need a new one. God does works over and over in our lives. And rather than look on those and rejoice, we're always looking to the next thing that we want him to do. We need something else. Like, that was cool. Now can you do this? You gave us bread. Can you give us more bread? It's, it's what we do. It's what we do, and it's what these guys are doing. And then Jesus explains to them, it wasn't Moses that gave you that bread. 
It was never Moses that provided that bread. You complained to Moses. And God heard your complaint. And God provided the bread in the wilderness. Moses didn't do that. You were looking to the wrong person yet again. Even back then. You're still looking at the wrong one. You were looking at Moses, but not to the one who really provides the bread. God provides the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You see, the bread that they had gotten in the wilderness, if they gathered too much and kept a little back from themselves, the next day it spoiled. It ruined. It had maggots in it, the Bible says. God told them only to collect for each day what they needed for that day. And that he would provide again the next day. And those who didn't trust, they, they kept a little back for themselves. And then it spoiled. And it was super gross when it spoiled. They weren't trusting then. And they're, they're, they're unwilling to trust now. The true bread is Jesus. He comes from heaven and he gives life to the world. He explains this sign. And then what he does is he extends an invitation to these people. He said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. They say, give us this bread always. We want to eat till we're full every day. Provide this for us always. And Jesus says, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said that you've seen me and you don't believe. I just explained this to you. The work of God is that you would stop working and believe, and then you asked me for a sign. You wanted more bread. They completely looked past Jesus. And we sit here in padded chairs in a cool room reading this text with judgment in our hearts for these people because they're staring the very bread of life in the face, yet wanting to give them something else. And the scriptures stare right back into our souls and declare, you're guilty. You are guilty. Jesus is looking you in the face right now saying, I am the bread of life. Come to me for joy, for life. 
Don't turn him away because you want his stuff and not him. Don't turn him away because you want his stuff and not him. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, God is doing a work in your life right now. A great and a mighty work. He who he has called and justified you is conforming you right now to the image of Jesus. He's doing a mighty work to display the glory of Christ in you. And he's using the circumstances of your life to show his power. And you're spending time asking him to change the circumstances that he has ordained so that you can eat your fill of food that will spoil tomorrow. Are we not just like these people? We ask him to change our circumstance, he does, and then we just want another sign. But the circumstance that you're in this morning, Christian, is for your good and for his glory. Why would you ask him to change that which he has ordained for your good and for his glory? Many of you know that our house flooded during Harvey. Back September 2nd, we moved out of the house. It was a beautiful sunny day and the water just came flowing in. Um, and we moved out of the house that day, and, and on that first day, we were like, mm, you know, hopefully three or four months, we'll be back in the house. And, and then after about a week, reality hit, and I was like, well, hopefully by the end of the school year, and maybe in 2018, right? And it was one of the hardest periods of my life. And at first, you feel guilty, because you're like, ah, people have it worse, if there are kids in Africa that are living, sleeping on dirt floors, there are people that have it worse. Why do I feel like I deserve any better? And the reality is I don't. It was a really hard period, and it's okay to say that that's hard. But on the backside of that, Sarah and I have looked back and seen how the Lord has worked in our hearts how he's worked in the lives of kids that were living in our home, how he's worked in the people around us to encourage us and love us. And we both said, wouldn't trade it for anything. That was the circumstance that God ordained to make us more like Jesus. And why should we want anything else? Because we, we don't really want to be like Jesus is what it comes down to. We just want his stuff. We don't want him. But if our eyes are on Jesus, when hard times come, when circumstances are not the way we would have chosen, our eyes are still on Jesus. And we know that this circumstance is for our good and it's for his glory. And we may have to be reminded over and over again. But brothers and sisters... If we don't want Jesus for Jesus, then we really haven't trusted him. We really don't believe. We, we just want another sign. So here's what I would encourage you. It's like, this, this is mind-blowing, okay? What I'm about to tell you may be completely new and fresh. Will change your life. 
Read your Bible and pray. How do I keep my eyes on Jesus? How do I know that I want Jesus and not his stuff? Read your Bible and pray. It really is that. But how many of us don't keep our eyes on Jesus? Because we haven't picked up our Bible since last Sunday. We haven't spoken a word to him last Sunday. And how many of us would not have the spouse sitting next to us if we had last talked to them last Sunday? If you want your eyes on Jesus, you have to put your eyes on Jesus. And this is where we see him. This is where we see him. I don't know the circumstance of everyone in the room this morning. I don't know your needs. I don't know your grumbles and your complaints, whatever they might be. But I do know that whatever situation you are in, Jesus has ordained it for your good and for his glory. It's for your joy. So feed on the eternal bread of life and your circumstances will serve as the sign that shows you Jesus over and over and over again. Just Jesus. And hear what he says. Those who come to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. If you trust in Christ, if you believe in Christ, he has promised. He will not lose you. You will experience a resurrection like his on the last day because he will raise you up. What confidence and hope we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us in Christ. God, we thank you that there is no question as to our security in Jesus because he said he would raise us up on the last day if we only believe in him. God, I pray that we would believe in him this morning that we wouldn't want just the stuff that he can give, but that we would want him. God, as we sang earlier, make our hearts believe that Jesus is better. Even when things are going the way we would have them go, help us to believe that Jesus is better. For there is no name like his. It is mighty and powerful to save. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.